Hallelujah. Praise God. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will, and let's go to Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Genesis, the 32nd chapter. I say welcome to each and everybody here today, and we're, we're glad to have our, our I want to say our best friends, more than friends, uh, Lonnie and Carolyn Harris with us today, visiting. We popped in and spent the night with us last night, and you know, i got to say that I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for these two right here. There was a time in my ministry that I should have zigged and I zagged, and I left an assignment sooner than I should have. And I was so disappointed in myself that I was just to the point of abandonment. And I know it was Carolyn and Lonnie's prayers, their encouragement, their continual prodding. Mike, where you at? What you doing? Come on, come on, come on. Patience just brought me back into the fold and got me back in the ministry. You know, I, just a little history about them. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't be here. Andrew wouldn't be here today without them. Um, I don't know uh, that Rebecca and Denzel Hood would be in Mexico right now without them. And thus, Liz may not be in Mexico right now. See, your life matters to someone in a magnitude that you may not understand. We're going to go in two weeks, and we'll be down there with a celebration service. There, uh, a single church that started in a house is now 30 churches with 30,000 adherents. And there's going to be about 2,000 people that will be, be in that congregation worshiping the Lord in a single service, and it's all a result of these people's ministry in someone else's life. Amen? See, so you don't, you don't know what impact you're going to have on somebody. It's a ripple effect. And today, my son is on staff with his son. That my son might not be in the ministry if I didn't stay in the ministry. And I wouldn't be in the ministry if it wasn't for these two. Amen. God is good. See, I lost my father when I was 14 as he committed suicide. And for whatever reason, God favored me, blessed me with the grace of having a mother and father of the faith. And they just brought us in and they treat us like family. And they just declare we're their children and we just, we are honored for that. And so let me just encourage you. You may not feel like you're doing something right now. You may be doing everything for somebody. What I encourage you to do is quit quitting and stop stopping. Amen. Just keep going. Put one foot in front of the other. Lonnie used to, used to call him when I first pastored. He abandoned me in Kilgore. And so and when he abandoned me in Kilgore, it threw me off on the deep end. And I was too young and dumb to know anything. And I would call him and say, Lonnie, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he'd say, Mike, they can't eat you. I said, well, these bite marks contradict that. <laughs> he just brought me back to center. He just said, just keep going. Don't let them see, see you sweat. Just keep on moving. Do what God wants you to do. Amen. They were undaunted, unrelented. Just do it. Just go on and do it. Amen. So today, we're going to continue with our theme, We Don't Shrink Back. Last week we were undaunted. This week is a little bit different. We're going to be talking about being dislocate, uh, uh, dislocated. Dislocated. You'll understand what that means. But I want you to look here in Genesis 32. Genesis 32. And the, our, our theme scripture is Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of them who shrink back unto perdition, which means destruction, 
But we are of them that have faith unto the saving of the soul. Amen. What we have is so much better than what we left. And if you don't come to realize that, you may end up leaving. If your good news is, if you don't understand how bad your bad news is, you don't have a comprehension how good the good news is. But I want to talk to you about being dislocated and what that means today. Father, I just thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your great grace. And, Lord, I don't say that, Lord God, repetitively. I say that, Lord, earnestly. Lord, you know my heart. You know, God, that I can't and never have been able to do anything without you. Lord, if you don't bring revelation, Lord God, we'll leave the same way we came. Lord, I'm, I pray, Father, for the festering thorns that are in our heart to be removed. And, Lord, I pray that you'll dislocate us. Lord God, just make us, Lord God, completely, entirely dislocated that we understand the power by the Spirit that we walk in. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. So the backdrop of this is simply that here is Jacob. Jacob Jacob's about to have a, a, a moment, an encounter. So Jacob has lived his life from his nature. <laughs> he, he's lived his life from a, from a nature that we saw from, the, from his birth. In fact, he was named, his namesake was a result of his actions, his nature. So here we have the, uh, uh, Jacob, the supplanter, the, the trickster, the, the heel grabber, the, the tripper upper, <laughs> if you will. And um, we, we have Jacob here, and he's, he's done some things. He's done some disappointing things. And these disappointing things has led him to this moment here. So he can't go back because he's left Laban's house. And, and Laban, we'll talk about in a minute, uh, he and Laban have set, parted ways. And now he's going to go face his greatest fear. And the back that you back up to the first of the chapter, you'll discover that he was afraid because he's going to face a brother that he stole something from. <laughs> and uh, he's trying to appease his brother. He's trying to offset the, 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 what's happening. And it's amazing, and, and I don't fully understand the meaning of it, but um, that's just the way the Word of God goes. It's the mystery that God reveals to us. But in the first part of this chapter, it says he sees some angels. He sees some angels. And then it goes on and tells about what's, what, what the setup is. And, and, and Jacob, he's going to send 550 animals in droves to his in flocks and in droves to his to his uh, brother to kind of appease him, and he separated his family. He's got he's got half of his family over here and half of his family over there, just hoping that he survives. And now he's left alone, and he's all by himself. And that brings us to verse twenty-two of the thirty-second chapter, reading out of the modern English version. You can look at that in your Bibles or on your apps or wherever you're at. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and the 11, notice, 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Amazing enough, Jabbok means, uh, it, it means a wrestling place. And so he's, he's about to have a wrestling match. Anybody ever had a wrestling match? And he took them and set them across the stream along with all that he had. So his, his family all of his possessions, everything. Jacob was left alone in verse 24, and a man wrestled with him there until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched, this also is translated, he punched the socket of his thigh, which also means his loins, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. Somebody say, ouch, or Amen. As he wrestled with him, 
Then he said, let me go for the day breaks. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. But Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray you, your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face. and My life is preserved. And he crossed over Peniel, and the sun rose over him, and he was limping on his thigh. Limping on his thigh. Now, it's amazing to me that he's, he's there, and he is facing sudden death. Think about it. Why is he facing sudden death? Because he beguiled his brother. He, 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 the trickster, the supplanter. Supplanter is, is one who usurps the position by force or manipulation or trickery. Here's Jacob the trickster. And funny thing, my son is named Jacob. And his mother was telling him about six or seven years old what his name meant. The story about Jacob... He got so distraught, and he said, Mom, seven years old, Mom, why didn't you name me Israel? <laughs> so what you have here, he's, he's at a pivotal point in his life. He can't go back, and he can't go forward. And he knows he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He is, he is isolated in an area that he's, he, there's got to be some intervention he can't get beyond. He, all of his actions and all of his behaviors have led him to where he's at now. He manipulated his brother out of the birthright. He, he manipulated his father out of the blessing that goes along with the birthright. He manipulated Laban when he was over there, when he, when he got his, his, the increase of the cattle and things. You say, well, how did he do that? Well, Laban was a bigger trickster than Jacob. In the night of his wedding, <laughs> switched the brides on him. Now that would be, whoa, that's more than a snafu. That is like wrong. You know what I'm saying? You go into the tent and you're expecting one and you wake up the next morning. It's like, oh my gosh, why didn't you say something? <laughs> well, if you work another seven years, you can have the other daughter. <laughs> so he gets the other daughter. So he's got a wedding there back to back. And now he's got two wives and now he's got 11 sons and all of this. But see, uh, the Lord showed him in a dream said, look, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the, the spotted animals, and, and they're going to belong to you, and everything else is going to be Laban's. And, and so when it came to the breeding time, he would, just, he would bring his strong breeders up to the water hole, and he would push the weak ones back, and he'd give those to Laban. So as we look at the Word and we see, we think, man, I might have been asking for something different that day. Like, Southwest, take me away. <laughs> Remember those old advertisements? I, I, I might have been asking, Lord, could you send an army 
down right now. Could you cause Esau and all of his 400 men that are coming out here to meet me, could you cause a, I don't know, a dysentery or something? Just could, could something happen that they would, uh, maybe they would leave to a foreign country. Maybe there would be an escape plan somewhere else. Lord, I, I don't know. Lord, can, can, can maybe you send down some angels and rescue me? Think about it. But that's not what he asked for. Because I think there was more going on than just Jacob's rescue that day. Jacob wrestled. Now this is a theophany, which is a manifestation of God. Most theologians agree it's more than an angel. It was a theophany. It was God manifest himself there, and he's the one wrestling with Jacob. And it's wrestling with Jacob throughout the night. They're there wrestling along in I think Jacob's got an understanding because he's wanting to know the name. He wants to confirm, like, look, is this, who, who are you? Because I know you're in other world. <laughs> you're not just here, but you are, you, you, you've got to, in fact, he had to have an understanding because he said, bless me. Why would he say bless me unless he knew who he was wrestling was superior than his father and his grandfather Abraham? He was wrestling with, a, with a one that he wanted to know, who are you? And his request was not for deliverance. It wasn't for safety. It was for blessing. I want you to bless me. So many times we come to God and we want riches and wealth and fame and we want our name and lights and we want all of these things. And, 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 and by golly, if God doesn't give it to us, we're right back in the pig pen where we came out of. But here is Jacob. And what we see in Jacob's life is he stopped and he said, I want the blessing that I've been striving for my whole life. I want you to bless me. Not deliver me, not set me free. I want you to, I want to hear the words come across your lips. I want to hear you say to me that I am blessed. Bless me. What does it mean to be blessed? It's more than just sneezing and somebody say, bless you. It's more than just the bless me's when somebody comes to you with the prayer meeting. Oh, bless their, ten, bless their heart. Bless their heart. It's more than that. A blessing is the importation and the ability to actually multiply and produce. That's what the Hebrew context of blessing it means to multiply and produce. We see that in the garden where God, he, what he created is he created life. And when he created life, he blessed it and said, now with this life, you, he produced life. Now you have the ability to reproduce life. So he brings all life, Zoe, is connected to the Lord Jesus. In him is Zoe, life, and that life was the light of men. God puts his life inside of us at salvation, and now he says you have the ability to reproduce that life and further the Garden, garden of Eden. You have the ability, just like in the beginning creation, when he created man and all the creatures on the earth, he started life, and he said now, now I have given the systems by which life can be reproduced. 
and continue. And what, what, what do we call that? We call it blessing. You have been blessed to produce what you could not produce before. Now, we have here before. Now, Abraham was given a blessing. And in that blessing, there would be a, a, a blessing that would come upon him. As God said, he told Abram, he said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, and I will show you a land. And he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. But those who curse you, I'm going to curse. Amen. But see, what happened in man's choice in the garden? Curse came upon all humanity. And thank God that it did. I just said that. Thank God that it did. Because if you do that, you get this. And without this, there would be no end to that. Do you hear me? What if we lived in a world where Adolf Hitler could not be killed or died? So death is the grace of God. It's the mercy of the Lord to stop. What if the jihadists uh, could do anything and everything they wanted to do at any given time? There would be a lot more murders that took place if there was no end to that. What would happen if the ones of old, if evil had no end? If evil had no end. So death is not altogether a bad thing. Death is many times the mercy of God Cutting off the lifeline of that, of that enemy that's coming against and bringing destruction upon humanity. Amen? Now, I'm not, I'm not weighing in the fact that good people die and all of those things, but, but understand what I'm saying is that there was no end to the evil, then there would be a perpetuation and a continuation of that evil to the point. Why do you think God put cause and effects when it comes to our own lives? What we put in our body, what we look, set our eyes before us. We think that we, we, God did not create death. He did not introduce death into the world. We did. We brought death into the world. And the devil, through the temptation, but he, he beguiled Eve and, and, and Adam partook. And so death now is a result. God said, if you won't listen, then you will have to learn. If you won't listen, then you were going to learn the horrible lesson. How would you like to be the man who brought death upon the entirety of the human race? Don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you do that, you get this. If you didn't have cause and effect with your children, your children would just have no. See, you're as parents, you're there to harness your children's emotion until they learn to control their emotions. <laughs> Amen. And discipline, not beating, but discipline brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness. <laughs> you want peace, then you've got to discipline. Discipline means you not only correct, but you live the life in front of them. You do what you are called to do by the grace of Almighty God. And he will answer your prayers. I promise you, I know from experience. Because my pleading with God is, Lord, don't let me ruin my children. <laughs> I raised three of my favorite people in the entirety of the world. My children are good people. And it's only by the grace of God. Amen. Don't give up on your kids. Just keep doing. If you feel like you messed up, then go back to God and say, God, help me. Amen. Amen. But how we have the blessing. See, before Jacob was ever born... Jacob we're talking about here, he was already, a blessing was spoken over him. You, the younger, 
shall rule over the elder. In fact, the Genesis 25 and 23, and the Lord said to her, because Rachel was barren, we'll talk about that in a minute, Rachel was barren, and so she petitioned her husband, and you know, thank God for Isaac. <laughs> when Sarah was barren, she's just like, her answer was bring Hagar. But now that Rebecca was barren, Isaac's like, well, I'm going to ask God about this. <laughs> and so she became pregnant, and now she's got this constant turmoil in her womb. She doesn't understand because there's no sonograms in those days. They don't just lay them on the table and put the little juice on there and just rub her down and, look, it's a, it's a little girl, it's a little boy. It's, it's both. There's two boys, what I mean. <laughs> Two boys, two boys in your womb. And they're fighting against one another. And those two boys are going to become two nations are in your womb. See, God's interested in nations and generations. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. Let's talk about barrenness for just a minute. See, with Abraham, he was, he was given the promise of God. He was given the promise of God. But Sarah, Sarai at the time, she was barren. And that barrenness is like a mocker, is it not? If you didn't listen to Wednesday night or didn't show up Wednesday night, you've got to go back and listen to that service. Andrew talked about casting the, mar the mocker out. You, you've got to have it. Even if you were in class or you don't regularly attend, let me tell you, go back and listen to it because it will help you to cast that mocker out. But see, barrenness can become such, it seems like an indictment against what God is doing. It's like you're going to be the father of nations? You're an old codger. Could you imagine having a child at 100 years old or ladies 90 years old? When he got the promise, it was 78. Any 78-year-olds in here want to bounce a little bouncing and vigorous baby boy on your lap? No. <laughs> About two days, the three granddaughters at the house climbing and doing a little wrestling off the top of the, of the couch and down on Pop's belly, you know, just a couple of days, and that's all you can physically take. But we have here a promise. But you've got this ugly barrenness associated, and it seems to be attached to this promise until it reached the point of absolute and physical impossibility that... We have Abraham, and he is he's, Sarah is barren. And now that promise passes on to Isaac, and now Rebekah is barren. And now that promise is going to pass from, from, from Sarah to Rebekah, and now it's going to go to Rachel. And now Rachel is barren. And it's like indictment, indictment, indictment. It's like it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. But I want to say to somebody, if you don't hear anything else, uh, that barrenness is not an indictment against the promises of God. It is the very endorsement to the promises of God. 
Hear me now. It's the endorsement to the promises of God. What do I mean by that? It took a supernatural occurrence in order for Sarah to conceive in her womb. It took a supernatural occurrence for Rebecca to conceive in her womb. It took a supernatural occurrence in order for Rachel to produce in her womb. And it will take a supernatural impartation and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days because it is not by might nor by power but it is by the Spirit, says the Lord. And God's getting his church ready for an outpouring of the Spirit. I hate to apologize when I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Live in such a way you don't have to apologize. You know what I'm saying? Because God is going to have a church without spot or wrinkle. God is preparing a people for his endorsement. And his endorsement, it is not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power. It's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord. And what you couldn't do before, you're going to do by the power of the Spirit of God. If you are here today and Jesus Christ lives in your heart, hear me today. That barrenness that you have walked through, those decades that you have walked through, those children you haven't seen come in yet, and it looks like there is an indictment against you. It is not an indictment. It is a promise from God, an endorsement that he will move by his spirit because there is nothing less that it will take. We got to have a move of God's spirit. We got to have it in the house first. We got to have it in here that it washes away all of my rights, that it washes away all of my thoughts, that I walk in such a way that I am changed and transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. That when I speak, it is a voice of God in your ears. I want to go to that church, I want to be a part of that church. See, we look at the Word of God. In such binary ways. And what I mean by that, we got good guys and we got bad guys. And we see what Jacob did, and we know the end of the story. And we know that, and so we, we paint him as the good guy from the start. And we paint Esau as the bad guy because he's really bad. And he's just like the worst of two evils. But see, the story of Jacob it's not a binary story. It's not cowboys riding in on white hats and cowboy bad guys, bandits riding in on black hats. It's not binary. The story of Jacob is a story of transformation. The story of Jacob is a story of him progressing and moving out of this nature that keeps drawing him back in. And everything he strived for was already given to him before he was ever born. It was prophesied. So we look at the Word of God and we think, well, if it's in there, it must be divine. It must be inspired. It must be the right way. That the only, God knew the end of the road, so he just, like, he just like painted the picture after he knew what was going to happen. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? So they, they, we write it down and say, well, all of Jacob's behavior must have been good. His behavior was not good. 
His behavior was bad. In fact, his nature was snake-like. He was the one tripping people up by tripping their heels. He was the one manipulating. Let me say to you, God is not a manipulator. He has no problem being, you think you're forthright and forthcoming? Well, rest assured, God is far more forthright and forthcoming. And you, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You can go, don't worry about them dead gods. It's the living gods you got to worry about. But let me say to you, as we come here, we look at Jacob, and from his birth, we see his nature. He reaches up and grabs his brother's heel. So what are we going to name him? We're going to name him Supplanter because he's a grabber. He's a trickster. He's, he's one, and he starts living out this proclamation over his life. He comes in out of the, he's there making a bowl of stew, lentils, and here comes his brother Esau. It was amazing that Esau was red and hairy all over, but that wasn't the reason why they called him red. <laughs> Edom means red. They called him red because he sold his birthright for a bowl of red beans. <laughs> red lentils. Must have been a good bowl of beans, amen, lentils. <laughs> he said, sell me, sell me your birthright. He said, yeah, go ahead. I don't think he as a brother thought, yeah, I'm going to take you. I'm take your lentils and go. This doesn't mean anything. You know, I know that if you want to practice Christ-like character, start with your siblings. <laughs> Maybe that's too hard. <laughs> start with the devil and then go to your si- No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Because you, you think about your siblings differently. you just like... I found out that, that throat-punching witnessing is not the best when it comes to my sibling witnessing. Quit being a sinner. You're just full of the devil. You don't even know what you're doing. I hung up the phone one day, and Andrew said, who are you talking to? I said, oh, my brother. <laughs> I didn't sense the love in that. I said, oh, okay. But we have the heel grabber, the supplanter, the trickster, the schemer, and he steals his brother's birthright. And I don't think his brother ever intended on giving his birthright away. What's the birthright? It means you're going to have the authority in the family. God's already honored him and told him before he was, while he was in the womb, you're going to have, you're going to be an authority over your family. But instead of waiting on God to receive his, his God-given proclamation in, in prophetic voice. He takes the matter in his own hands. No, he takes the matter in his own hand. Now mama's in with the scheme. Well, she came from Laban's house, a brother. I think the trickster side may come from her side. Amen? Now it's like... Go in there and disguise yourself and, and, and act like your brother Esau because your father's about to give the blessing on him. And it wouldn't have mattered, in my opinion, that if the father did give the blessing over him, God said that it would happen and it's going to happen. And you've got to trust him what God says. It doesn't matter what the facts are. What matters is what is the truth. And the truth is, is you are redeemed by God. And now here is Jacob doing what Jacob does. Going along with mom's scheme. Does the manipulation part because he's after what God has already promised him. But he's doing it himself. He's doing it himself. Now he goes to Laban's house. Amazing how Isaac was so rich. But now Jacob is 
off and poor, and he's got, he doesn't have a, I nearly said it, but I'm not going to say it. Something about a pot and a window, but I'm not going to say it. It's a real thing in Europe back in the days. Throw it out the window. <laughs> you couldn't walk down certain alleys certain times of the day because that, that dark alley. <laughs> Need I digress? <laughs> so he shows up to Laban's house, and the trickster meets a, the ultimate trickster. Because Laban, he knows how to he knows how to get things done, in in such a way. So now. All those things happen. Now, Jacob is at this point in his life, before the Jabba, the wrestling match. He's at this wrestling match, and what God wanted to give him by birth, he wanted to get out and scheme for. See, there's a lot of folks in the house of God. You have been given the blessing of God and the ability to multiply and to flourish. But you won't receive it as a birthright. You won't receive it. When he said, fear thou not, that's your birthright. And so you go try to find some other way to find safety. God said, I will supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that you put your work boots in the, in, in the closet and sit on your hands all day long and wait on the mailbox money to show up. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trusting in God when you get up in the, in the morning that God's in control and he's going to take care of your situation. And, and, but you're going to be led by the Spirit of the Lord to lead you down the path that you need to go on. Amen. And the Lord said, a man that won't, he won't, he won't provide for his own house is worse than an unbeliever. He said, if you want to, you're going to, if you get out and work, you can, you can begin to eat. But if you don't eat, you don't, if you don't work, you don't eat. Amen. So we look here to the word of God. That's not what we're saying. We're not endorsing those attitudes. But what we understand is what Jacob was unwilling to wait on was the blessing of God. And it seemed to be something that carried all the way back to his grandfather because his grandfather and Sarah would not wait upon God. And so they created problems that the world didn't need by bringing a mocker into the situation. And now you've got Ishmael, who is not part of the promise, but a part of the slave. And now you You've got Isaac, and in order for Isaac to be protected, you've got to get rid of Ishmael. So hurt led to hurt. Instead of waiting on God and trusting in the Lord, we have all been guilty of that, myself included. I want God to move in such a mighty way. And the Lord said, yeah, I'm going to move, but I'll do it in my own timing. Amen? Because the answer is so much bigger than the questions you're asking. So we have Jacob here. He's left alone. My God, I wish the Lord would get some of us all alone. Just alone with God. So that we stop pointing the finger at everybody else being our problem. you got to get alone with God. Because he's the only one that's got the answer you need. And if you're still blaming your spouse, your boss, your situation, and God, then you, God needs to isolate you and get you all alone just with him. 
The Lord is scheduling a wrestling match with you. He is scheduling a conflict because in that conflict, there's going to be a change that takes place. Because as long as I can deflect by blaming everybody else for the reason why I am unwilling to walk in faith and acknowledge the fact that I am a selfish, self-centered individual, you will never be set free from the tyranny of your own thoughts. We are far more arrogant than what we even know. We're far more self-centered than what we can even realize. Many times we're blinded to it. It's a thorn in our heart that God needs to cause to fester so that it can be removed. See, if everybody else is to blame, you're a selfish, self-centered individual. And all you see is self. When you look in the mirror, all you can see is a reflection of yourself coming back at you. And God wants to set you free from that. So he staged a conflict. So Jacob, i got to get you alone. Mom and Daddy is, is still back at camp. Of course, we don't know if Rebecca made it out of it because once she beguiled Isaac, we never hear from her again. But Isaac, and I believe that Isaac stayed alive because Esau made the declaration. He said, as soon as my father dies, I'm going to go kill my brother. Well, it's 20-plus years later, and his Daddy's still alive. So he's got him all alone. He's all alone. Isolation is not altogether a bad thing. If you're alone and God is with you, now there's a wrestling match that goes on. And I didn't know, I didn't know this until I studied a little bit. We always heard, when you get in a fight, don't hit below the belt. God didn't get that rule. <laughs> That word loin is what it means. It says he punched him in his loins so hard that it dislocated his hip. Can somebody say, ouch? Ha! <laughs> thought of it is grueling. This is what it literally means, the thigh, the loins. As the seat of his procreative power. (laughs) Anybody see who that was? I'll do this. Elvis, you know. So the wrestling, it ain't right. It ain't right. This is what theologians believe. That God, when he asked for the blessing, that Lord stopped his ability to produce life. You got everything you got on your own, Jacob. Got everything you got on your own. But I'm stopping that today. Taking away your ability to produce life. I'm taking away your ability to continue to trust entirely in yourself. Folks, let me say to you, 
as Americans. I'm not a prophet of doom. I want everything to work out. But there's been some actions on the side of our nation that has set us up for a place of judgment. You can't go fund a terrorist nation that comes against Israel and not expect retaliation. I don't welcome it. I don't relish it. I am praying earnestly against it. But if our kingdom is based upon comfort only, and we are so seeker-sensitive and touchy-feely that the least amount of offense will run us out of the house of God, we are not prepared for the onslaught of the enemy that's coming. And there is coming a day where God will have a mighty, glorious, powerful church that's not going to limp in afraid, but it's going to march in by the power of the Spirit, gathering the sheaves together, walking in the authority of God that have only eyes for the King and the King only. She will be a pure, spotless bride. She will be a beautiful and adoring, and she may be repulsive to the world, but she is going to be ever so desirous to the King because she will walk in that authority and in that power and she will not care what the world looks like because she knows the king in whom she is going to and he is more important than anything on earth. More important. That is where God is drawing us into a place we have been in a barren land. And that is felt like an indictment. But God said, no, it's going to be an endorsement to the supernatural outpouring that I will bring forth in these last days. You will no longer trust in wealth and riches. Trust in the power of the spirit of the living God. You will trust. You will no longer trust in your ability to produce. Amazing thing is, three years after this encounter, there was a son that was born. I looked at the timeline. Looked at the timeline. Three years from that encounter, there was another son born. Benjamin. Benjamin. So there was a, it's just the study I did. To see. So the God gave him the ability. But see, it wasn't his ability this time. It was God's ability to produce. It wasn't his ability, but it was God's ability. Just like Abraham, Isaac. See, it, it wasn't Abraham and Sarah. See, it wasn't just Sarah's, Sarah's barren womb. It was Abraham's inability. The rock and the quarry, the scripture goes. He brought a Somebody help me with it. I've seen the rock in which you were hewn and the quarry in which you've come out of. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's the rock. Sarah was the quarry. Both barren. Both stones. Stones don't produce anything. But God brought out of there Isaac. And now the Lord has brought Benjamin out of that barren womb at the cost of Rachel's life. But still, he brought forth that child. And in that child, now is a child of promise. But folks, what I want you to see here as we start to draw to a close. 
what was the blessing? Was it the blessing of Abraham spoken over him? That you will be a great nation? Part of it. But all you can see in the text, if we just stick to the text, when he asked for a blessing, what he got was a name change. That's all you have. You got a name change. So when you introduce yourself now, my name is Jake. Uh, Israel. Uh, Israel. Hard to get used to. See, you've always been the supplanter. But as I told you, this is a story of transformation. He's been dislocated. There's been a dislocation of his normal operating procedure. There has been a disruption, if you will, in the way that he, his mode of operation. Uh, his stuff doesn't line up anymore. <laughs> his, his fact, his walk is different. Uh, it doesn't look as pretty in the world, uh, but his walk is different. He's limping now where before he possibly could run or at least walk straight. Uh, and when I get up in the mornings, uh, I'm glad she's either already up or maybe she's in the bed. Uh, but when I get up, I don't walk straight in the morning. I, I I got to loosen stuff up. You know what I'm saying? I got to get things working as they are to work. But folks, let me say, as we look here upon Jacob, what we discover is he always did the things he wanted to do in trying to obtain the promises of God without the God of the promise. And the Lord said, you're not going to do that anymore, son. You are a new creature in me. You are no longer Jacob, the supplanter, the trickster, the tripper-upper. You are now my son you are Israel I call you by your name you are mine you're one who prevails and has persevered with God and men I'm not who I was see it is so important and I want to say to this church thank you for allowing me to minister to your students we have the greatest bunch of youth in this city. Thank you for the privilege of speaking into their lives. Because I believe that God has a destiny, a desire, and a purpose for their life. We started with the word today. I want to get them in the book. I want you in the book because our declarations will determine our destination. And if we are not, if we are declaring that we are still the supplanter, we will not be the preservers of life. We will not be those who step into the places God wants us to step. Amen. Declaration. How many are still doing your daily declaration? Declaration. One person. Come on, Renee, work with me. I am a child of the Most High God. Say it with me, church. I am a child of the Most High God. I am righteous in Him. I am blessed and highly favored. I have other world peace through Him. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Jesus is my friend. I can do all things through Him. I will not attempt to do anything without him. He is my Lord, my Savior, my King, my God. I have buried my insecurities in the graveyard of unbelief. Fear has no place to land in my heart. 
Lies are banished from this dwelling. I live as one in Christ. Righteous. Resurrected. Rested. Rewarded. I live complete in Him. My body is whole. My mind is clear. Jesus is my joy. I welcome His will. I got Holy Ghost power. I got Holy Ghost power. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the King. I am not who I was. I'm a brand new creature in Christ. That's going to get you a whole lot closer than where you need to go by you continuing to say, well, my mama did it, my daddy did it, I was born this way, this is my personality. Fooey gooey on your personality. I don't give a rip about your personality. You can, If I can, as a quiet person and introvert, become bold, you as a loud, obnoxious person can become quiet. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? God will put a backbone in the weak. He will put you in a place where your backbone is solid. Amen. He'll cause you to walk in humility and take that strength and put a velvet glove on it and say, yes, you're strong, but you have nothing without me. And some firebrands God's raising up out of this house. He's going to release it, release it, release it by the power of his spirit. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Revelation without application, church, is a dismal waste of time. If wise counsel comes to you according to the word of God and you don't apply it, the Bible calls you a fool. You're living in foolishness. You're living in foolishness if you think that God will, you're making a mockery of God. If you're sowing one way and you're professing to go another, it ain't going to work. You got to back up. There was a time in our ministry in Hot Springs and there was a young man who struggled. Man, he struggled. Struggled, struggled, struggled. He was, he was hooked on crack cocaine. He would smoke it until his, his lips bled. His nose, I mean, just destroying his body. Just killing him. I said, God, he's come to this altar a thousand times. And he keeps going right back. Where's the power? I believe I had the audacity to say that to God. <laughs> Where's the power? He said, son, my power has never diluted, not even a little. Never. Never will. See, the power of God rests upon the hinges of the, your door of faith. He said, the moment he surrenders, it'll be the moment I deliver him. And that young man who was six foot four and big as a house. In fact, one day he's in the altar and Lee Fogelman always reminds me, Ken, you'll have to look him up. Lee, when we get to heaven, you're just like your doppelganger. Same spirit, same look, same size, same everything, same wisdom. <laughs> this guy's six foot four, big as a house. He's standing there and here's Ken. 
and he starts to go down, and Ken goes, I said, Ken, what are you doing? He said, Pastor, that guy to crush me. You want him caught? Get somebody bigger over here. I don't know if it was that time or another time, but there was a time that he came to the altar. The moment he surrendered, all of it, he was revolutionarily transformed by the power of God. Don't tell me God can't do what God does. He can take the worst of us. And he can transform by his power. But he's not going to. He might draw you into situations like he did Jacob. Rock in a hard place. You want to wrestle? Get ready. Harris, he said, now I'm walking away. I'm blessed. What is that last verse? And we're going to close. For the record, this is my first close. I'm sorry, my second. Somebody's keeping track. (laughs) Verse 30. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. As he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose. The world could see him now. He was limping. But his declaration was, I'm preserved. Now I am safe. Now I should have learned it a long time ago, but I couldn't quite hear it because I was only listening to the voices of my past where the Lord wanted just to bless me from the moment I was born. But I wanted to go out and work it all up and do it all myself. And all the tragedy that I'm looking at right now. But now I'm safe. Now I have been, I've been brought into safety. Saved. Sozoed. It's not only setting free and delivering from, but is bringing to a place of safety. What is God asking of you today? He's wanting you to walk in the multiplication ability and preservation that he has in store for you. But it's gonna, if you want all of him, he's got to have all of you. It, it doesn't work anyway. My, I didn't give my wife half my heart when we got married. I gave her my whole heart. She gave her heart to me. And now we entered into a covenant relationship. And we didn't. our love has not diminished. It's just grown stronger and stronger and stronger. Why would we? We know each other better than we knew before. And it's okay. That, that I, when I get up in the morning, I limp a little bit. And I'm not near as pretty as I used to be. Amen? Not that I was pretty to start with. But before, you know what I'm saying, there was a rough start in the beginning, but, but she loves me. Amen? I know this because her display of her, her actions declare her love for me. See, when you enter into a relationship with God, and though there may be broken relationships, and it keeps declaring to you that, that, you don't, that, that God doesn't love you, but God does love you, and he wants that love relationship with you, that you walk in that relationship with him, and you, you are growing ever deeper in love with him because you know him. 
That's what the Lord wants. Stand, if you will, worship team, make your way up. Father, I thank you, Lord God, this day. I thank you, Lord, this day. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Lord God. Lift your hands across this room right now, please. Lift your hands across this room right now, please. Lord, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. The Lord's return is frightening you. God doesn't want you to be afraid. If you're in relationship with him. If you're not, you need to be afraid. God will never call you to do something that he doesn't empower you to do. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the thing that you're holding on to is not holding on to you. You're holding on to it. Because God's given you the ability to let go of it. By putting your faith in him. And it's not that you just let go of that, what you're letting go of so that you can reach up and grab hold of him. It doesn't matter how gross you think that sin is. God's power delivers you from that sin. He can stop the sin and he can kill the cravings. He can stop it to the point that it's no longer in existence in your heart. He can deliver you out of that. He can set you free today power of his spirit, by the sacrifice of his son, he can deliver you today.